Hello, listeners, and welcome back again to the Leading with Integrity podcast. Now, you may have noticed, as it's come up a couple of times with previous guests, that I'm a bit of a Star Trek fan, which is why I'm thrilled today to be joined by Jeff Akin, the founder and inventor, I suppose you could say, of the Starfleet Leadership Academy, which is all about teaching leadership through the lens of Star Trek. So two of my favorite things in one. Really looking forward to this one. I hope you all enjoyed as well. Integrity Podcast. Leadership Talk for the Modern Manager. With your host, David Hatch. Jeff, first of all, thank you for getting up early, especially to join me for this episode today. David, I'm excited to be here. When we connected to put this together and I, we looked at the available times, I was like, wow, it's early. But you know what? This is a great podcast. You're a great conversation. I'm happy to get up for it. Oh, thank you. Very kind. (laughs) Well, let's begin with you telling the listeners a bit about yourself and your career so far and and what you do today. Yeah, I'd be happy to. You know, it it all started on a dark and dreary day in the night. No, I won't start that far back. But my name's Jeff Aiken. I am a manager, right? And that to a lot of people immediately will turn them off. But I think that managers are incredible people that have an opportunity to do great things in people's lives. I got my first uh, management gig in the early 2000s, so I get to say that I've been managing in three decades, which, uh, David, that's a humbling thing to say, <laughs> but I've, I've, I found in doing that that I have a real passion for for people, right, and helping them, but what I found along the way is that it's often super boring and dry to help people along the way, right? Let's get our uh, development matrix or let's follow this model of this thing. And uh, When I was younger, I was a professional musician. Well, to be clear, I got uh, paid to play music. Um, to call myself a professional, I think, would be a bit of a conceit. But, uh, but I, got to, I got to make a living doing that in the early 90s. And I transitioned out of music into professional wrestling. And I did that all the way up until COVID. I was a broadcaster in that space for the most part, uh, talking and talking. But those things taught me the value of entertainment and how you can get really dry subjects across in fun ways. But the core of me, like the piece of me that like everything is built from, really did start on a dark and dreary day back in the 1970s when I was sitting with my mom watching Star Trek, the original series. David, that uh, you, that describes me to a T. <laughs> amazing, amazing. And so that leads us right into the next question, which is, you teach leadership through Star Trek, which I have to say, as a Star Trek fan, so much applause for that. I love the idea. I wish I'd thought of it first. Why bring those two things together? It's it's a fun thing that happened. I like like many people uh, throughout time have you know decided I wanted to do something more right, and that uh, ended up pointing me towards podcasting. And 
I had done a couple of podcasts through the professional wrestling work, you know, like guessed it a couple of times. We tried standing one up and I really saw the value of the medium, but I had no idea what to start one on. Right. And so I thought, you know, I love leadership. I love leadership development. I love helping people tap that piece of themselves. They might not have otherwise tapped. So I'll start one on that. So I go, you know, to Apple podcasts and I look through and I'm like, wow, there are a lot of really good podcasts out there. I don't, I, I think they're good. I think they're set. You know, Tony Robbins has a podcast, right? Okay. I'm, I'm not going to add to that space. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll do Star Trek. Yeah, that'd be fun. And so I look through same, like just podcasts for days about Star Trek and uh, coming from a scarcity mindset. I really looked at it like, well, I guess maybe it's not for me. And then one day I'm sitting in a meeting and this is a meeting, David, I know you have sat in. I know anyone listening to this has sat in where, I don't know, six minutes into the meeting, I feel like it's Groundhog's Day where it's like, haven't, haven't we talked about this before? Didn't we already make these decisions? Why, why are we talking about this? And I got really frustrated. And afterwards I said to a colleague, I said, ah, I want meetings like Captain Kirk has meetings. Right. Issue, discussion, decision, action. Boom. That's it. And that's when the light went off for me. And I said, Oh my gosh, this could be that magic piece I've been looking for. So I went home. I watched an episode of Star Trek, which really could describe most, most days for me. But, uh, but in this case, I watched it with the specific purpose of seeing if I could extract leadership lessons from it. And whoa, <laughs> yes, I could. And so that led me down this path of trying to develop a podcast built on teaching leadership through Star Trek. And in that, I found that it is the perfect teaching vehicle because everyone knows at least a piece of Star Trek, right? I can tell that story about Captain Kirk's meetings. And even if you haven't watched the show, you have a picture of what that looks like. And so I've been able to translate that into just using pop culture, essentially, to teach leadership. I have a group that I'm working with right now, they're not into Star Trek. They're into Harry Potter. So cool. I'm going to learn Harry Potter from elite through a leadership lens. And I'm going to say, like, if you look at Dolores Umbridge and you look at Professor McGonagall at the core, they have the same intentions. They want the students to do the same thing. Just one is an absolutely horrible person. <laughs> the other one's not. So let's talk about how you can be a McGonagall and not an Umbridge. And, I just have found so much success in people getting it when you can wrap what many have made to be complex leadership concepts, just make them simple and put them in a zeitgeist pop culture, kind of a, you know, kind of a, a delivery and it's understandable and it's fun. Like we get to have a good time when we, when we do, I'm developing right now a training module where uh, there's a, 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 a VR game called bridge commander for star Trek where like you take the position of helmsman or you take the position of tactical officer. And I want to create an actual like workshop where we work on different leadership tech techniques. And then we slap on the VR headsets. We get on the bridge and we actually go do a mission together. I think that'd be a blast. I love that game as well. I have to say. <laughs> yeah. I think they um, stopped updating it, which is pretty disappointing, but, uh, but it's such a great, great idea. Such a cool concept. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I do worry or wonder if VR is going to go the way of the 3D TV. Um, yeah, all right. Short lived gimmick, but yeah, while it lasts, it's cool. Exactly. <laughs> Enjoy it in the moment. 
Yes, absolutely. And I mean, you described 90% of the meetings that I ever went to in previous jobs there as well. <laughs> it's it's wild to me. You know, I, I, I decided a long time ago that the the purpose of meetings is just for other people to hear themselves talk. Like that's, that's why they exist. And I have a lot of tactics and techniques that I've used to try and and move past that. But I just, Oh, they're just painful. If, if, if anyone listening is having these meetings, please use this as your clarion call. Stop. Just stop. It's okay. You know, just, just don't go to the meeting, ask for the minutes. I actually, we use teams, uh, for my organization and I have a team's background that just said, uh, could this meeting be an IM? <laughs> like, don't even email me. Just can you pop me yeah. up? Yeah. One of my previous jobs that became a, a kind of an internal meme meeting could have been an email. It is funny though. Some of the meeting cultures that get built up and yeah, I, I mean, it, it does come down to the leaders, doesn't it? As you say, sometimes they just like the sound of their own voice, unfortunately. Yep. And so, you just end up in, yeah, Groundhog Day, monotonous repetition, people falling asleep. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever been in a meeting, though, that was so bad where you just walked out? Yes, I have. Yeah, me too. Me yep. too. And, and it's one of the things, so it, it, it's a thing that's sad in this newer hybrid world that we work in. It's not nearly as impactful when you just click leave meeting as it was when you'd gather your things, stand up, kind of make a little noise when you scooched your chair out, you know, like, I'm out of here. <laughs> but now you're just like, Bloop. and everyone's like, oh, oh, Jeff, Jeff must have had a connection issue or something. I'm like, no, I was making a statement. Oh, oh well, I get that. <laughs> yeah, you, you just need to like throw papers up in the air on camera. Right. And then type a message in and say, this is rubbish, I'm leaving or something like that. <laughs> Maybe something a bit more polite than that and then hang up. Then but, and then yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah. The, the impact is, is lost, yeah. which is a shame. <laughs> but you're right we can find new ways to adapt right it's not it's not that the door is closed we just have to walk a different path that's all yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's just adjusting isn't it adapting overcoming yeah. exactly <laughs> <laughs> okay star trek then let's talk a bit about that because Perfect. it's a mutual interest I, i'm sure the listeners are sick of me talking about star trek anyway but tough tough luck guys you're gonna have to put up with it today what is then the best star trek series that used to be an easy answer. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of new Star Trek being produced right now, and some of it is really, really good. But I'm my favorite, and what I think is the best is Deep Space Nine. What What's your favorite? The same. You're the first person I've met who has agreed with me on this. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's a brilliant show. It. So I think what what I love about it in so many ways is. Gene Roddenberry had a vision, right, that he used to create Star Trek, this utopia where we cared for each other, you know, and we took took care of each other. We had all but eliminated poverty and hunger. Um, class struggles were a thing of the past. And the, ne- the original series demonstrated that. The next generation demonstrated that. But Deep Space Nine tested that. People look at Deep Space Nine and they say it's dark. Uh, it does things that, that Roddenberry would never want to have done. And I say, no, what it did is it showed us the other side. It tested Roddenberry's vision to prove it, to show that it was valid. Yes, there are a lot of bad, like awful things that happen and conflicts and things that in that episode, in that moment, you could say were contrary to Roddenberry's vision, but it all comes around. You can't take, 
take Deep Space Nine one episode at a time. You have to take it as its entirety. And then that last episode, right, what we leave behind, like one, if you've watched the whole series and you don't break down into blubbering tears during that episode, I question if you have a soul or not. <laughs> but but also it it just shows that even through adversity, that vision prevails and it still works. So good. I also have to say, because I know that there are people listening saying, yeah, but Deep Space Nine is just a ripoff of Babylon 5. And to you, I say maybe a little bit, but not entirely. I also host a Babylon 5 podcast. I know it well. It's called Babylon 5 for the first time. And we've actually interrogated that as we've walked, watched through the series. We're not far. We're almost into the third season right now. But at this point, other than the fact they both happen on a space station, and came out around the same time, and some of their characters have the same names. Yeah, no, they're they're not. So if you're not watching Deep Space Nine because you're a B five, uh, you know, purist, get over yourself. Go watch Deep Space Nine. You'll love it. Yeah, I think what I've always liked about Deep Space Nine is, and you've explained it better than I will, but um, <laughs> I think it was the fact that it took this kind of futuristic not quite perfect world and and added more humanity back into it and i think that made for more interesting stories because mm-hmm. i mean I, i've always liked original series that's what i was kind of brought up on that was the first star trek i saw next gen i was always a bit suspicious about and i think what first got me into deep space nine was at the beginning with cisco telling off picard i love yes. that yes, like, yes. <laughs> so i mean I mean, for a minute, right? And they're interrogating this in Star Trek Picard right now. And so I won't, yeah. I won't spoilers for anyone or anything, but just it's a thing that comes up. And it's, gosh, he, he was responsible. I mean, not Picard, but as Locutus, he was responsible for the deaths of over 11,000 Starfleet personnel and people. I'm not going to, you know, dehumanize them by calling them personnel by 11,000 people. And yeah, there was a lot going on with that. But if you're, just dude on a ship that was at wolf 359 you're not going to make that nuance you're like you did this to my wife you did this to my family and that was that was powerful for cisco and that set the tone for cisco right through the whole thing here's starfleet sacred cow in captain picard and he's like i don't care who you are i'm calling you on your stuff that's great yeah absolutely Huge leadership lessons there, and seeing his evolution over the series as well was really quite powerful. I think. Yeah, so. he he and Archer, well, actually all of them really, but Archer as well. They show so much growth over the series that when you analyze it through the lens of leadership, it's it's really exciting because, like Archer, especially in Enterprise, is a terrible terrible leader terrible manager in the first through about the second ish seasons and then he kind of starts to hit his stride you know he learns from what he did and it just tells a great story uh that you can you can reference because that's a path that many of us have taken in our development as well yes yeah and i think what was interesting about archer was he started to improve and then obviously there was a a big event in one of the mid-series and he went rapidly downhill for a while didn't he (laughs) He sure did. He sure did. But that's early two thousands TV right there. Right. Well, we had yes. to we were creating our anti heroes for a for a minute, figuring out how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. But then he pulled it back and there we go. Awesome. Okay. So if you had to pick a best episode then, what would it be? Balance of Terror from the original series. 
Ooh, nice. It's such a good episode. That's the one for people who are like, wow, it's a terror. Cause it's sad. People don't watch the original series anymore, you know, and maybe, maybe a lot of it doesn't necessarily hold up visually at least, but like, ah, it's, it's the good stuff. I love it. That's my series too. You know, just it's what I grew up with. But in that episode, it's the first time that the Federation runs into the Romulans after like a hundred some odd years. And, um, Kirk and the Romulan commander. It's, it's like a submarine movie, essentially, where they're, you know, they're, they're battling each other and they, they can't, you know, see each other and all that stuff. But they start to develop this mutual respect for each other. And there's a moment where they're like, in a different time, in a different place, we could have been friends. But here we have to do this. And it was just neat to see how you could have, like, you could, you know, try to destroy someone, but still respect them and still treat them with dignity. And it has that classic line because they finally, you know, there's all this rumor about who the Romulans are and they, you know, they look like Spock. They've got pointy ears and all of this. And so the dude on the bridge keeps, you know, flicking stuff at Spock. And finally Kirk's like, get to your quarters. There's no room for bigotry on this bridge, mister. And in 1967 for that phrase to be said on television, that I mean, wow, that, that alone shows the power of Star Trek that they could say that it was just a beautifully constructed episode, a great story. I'm curious though, what, what, what would you say your, your favorite episode is? Put oh, you on the spot. On the spot. <laughs> you have, yeah. I think actually it wouldn't be an episode. It would be a film. And I think it's actually perhaps controversially is going to be the search for Spock. Really? Because I think partly because it's so underrated in my eyes, everyone's like, well, Rathacon's the best one ever, which I'm not sure I agree with. Um, and then obviously Voyage Home, everyone loves that because it was more of a family movie and it was a bit of fun. But actually joining those two films together with with a story and seeing them as a, a whole trilogy, I really liked it. And I liked the whole redemption thing for Spock and how he comes back. Anyway, no spoilers because everyone's had like 30 years to watch it at this yeah, point. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of people probably, well, to be fair, people probably haven't watched it in about that long. But you're right. Yeah. It's, it's a great film. I think this yeah. is my hot take on Star Trek movies. All of them are good. All of them. Uh, some are better, you know, than others, but like I'll sit and watch any one of them. And Star Trek three is cool too. Cause without Star Trek three, we would not have Worf, right? We wouldn't have all the Klingon stories that we got through next generation and deep space nine. Cause they, they really created the modern Klingon. So, so yes. it's nothing else. Agree. Agree. And Christopher Lloyd as well. I know. It's, it's, I mean, he's brilliant in everything, and he was in the Star Trek film, so it's got to be a good one, hasn't it? <laughs> I love, I love the meme that says, uh, you know, uh, Kirk and crew went through a, a a time travel machine that was created and captained by Christopher Lloyd. It is just like, oh, so Back to the Future and Star Trek are the same universe, and Christopher Lloyd is the connective tissue. I love it. It's actually Doc Brown in his uh, in his yep. cosmetic disguise. Exactly. Yeah. It's just another, it's another prank. It's another gimmick for him. It's so good. Yeah, it is good. It is good. Awesome. So let's lead that into the next question then, which is who would you say is the best leader in Star Trek? And this so, may, may generate further controversy, but let's see. I think it will. So I, I want to caveat with there, there's a new contender on the field with all the new uh, Star Trek being produced, and that's Captain Pike in Strange New Worlds. Um, wow. 
I, I, I feel like he, it's the first time where they're just like, let's open up every great leadership book and just write his dialogue directly out of, out of this. But he's got one season, one short season under his belt. The person I'm going to say is the best leader, the best captain leader in Star Trek had seven seasons. Um, and they had the unenviable task of leading their crew 70,000 light years from the Delta Quadrant back home. Captain Janeway. David is my nominee for the best of the best leader of the captains. And I can see by your face, I have introduced that bit of controversy there. You have. Interesting. See, for me, she was maybe third or fourth. But <laughs> So the thing that makes her stand out for me mm. is in the sixth episode of the first season, The Cloud, which is very popular because it has her iconic line of, there's coffee in that nebula. <laughs> <laughs> but in that episode, she was faced with the reality that they, you know, they were going to be together for 70 years. You know, they were looking at being a generational ship to get home, limited crew. And so am I just captain or am I more than captain? Can I be friends with these people? Can it become personal? And in that she set up a, a, a mindset space for her, that added some gray to kind of that leadership, you know, I'm the leader and we're not going to hang out sort of a thing where she's like, I'm going to have personal relationships that are still professional, um, but, but are also conducive to us getting things done. She had to build that. The whole series started with a choice that she was faced with many times. Do I take the easy way out or do I stick to the values of federation and do what's often the hard thing? And she almost always Pick to do things the right and hard way. Not every time, but most of the time. And then caveat or put on top of all of that, that she was the top of the org chart. There were no admirals. There was no Starfleet command. There was no one to come and help. When she needed someone to come and help, she went and found that someone to help and enrolled them. She she allied with the Borg, you know, who were our mortal enemies, but found a way to to come together. I think that she brings a lot of the qualities that Picard had, couples those without a leadership structure, but then also adds in some of the great stuff Cisco had. One of the things I loved about Cisco was when he would cook for his uh, for the senior staff, like in his quarters. You know, he'd cook for them and they'd share a meal. Pike does this also in Strange New Worlds, and it's just such a powerful. A statement of humility, really, to open open your home to people, stir, you know, cook and serve them. There's there's a real um, there's a real allegory, real metaphor that occurs there, but it brings teams together. And I think Janeway really pulled a lot of those great pieces from them. And then, of course, she had that piece of Kirk, where she's just like, "I don't like what you're doing, and I'm going to fight you about it. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna fix this." But yeah, I think yeah, Janeway to me is just. I, I really look up, really look up to her as a leader. Yeah, okay. I, I might be coming around to your point of view there. Yeah. Um, I, I think for me, it's probably the, the new version of Pike. I agree. I think just from when he appeared in that other series. Yeah, um, that one that, that will, yeah, yeah. Will, shall no longer be pretty soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, almost from the first moment, like he's coming in as a, a captain of a quite punch drunk crew, shall we say. <laughs> Uh-huh. And you know, from the first conversations he has with each and every one of those people, he's immediately establishing that I'm a different kind of leader. I'm here to support you. And that's what I consider the kind of the modern approach to leadership. And he just does it and he gets it right. And even people who aren't that happy with the fact that he's there in the first place, you know, within 
pretty short space of time, they were on board with it yeah. because of how, you know, he's just a really good leader. Um, yeah. I think another one that would be high up my list is actually Spock. Really? Because there, I think there's a certain dignity and a massive skill in playing number two to such a massively famous character. Well, character in the sense of he's a fictional character, but also character in the sense of the massive personality that Kirk always was, right? So, yeah. And Spock can do that, and yet he can still, you see it in the, the films perhaps more than the series, he still has this way of exerting his own leadership as well in each of those situations, and it's quite quite powerful to watch sometimes, I think. It is. I, I always feel that in the original, the thing, one of the things I love about the original series is they have almost the perfect leader, but the perfect leader is Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. It's the trio. And it really demonstrates that you don't have to lead alone. In fact, you're better when you don't, you know, he, I mean, it, it just think about it from the diversity lens, you know, he's got, you know, this, this doctor from the South who's just, you know, all charm and whatever, but is very pragmatic and just says things how they are. And then this cold, logical, much more emotional than he lets on to be uh, individual who just looks at things through that lens. And then Kirk, who's got the gravitas and the charisma, uh, you know, to, to go and lead it. One of my favorite book series is Frank Herbert's Dune. And Dune is actually about more than sandworms. Shocker for some people. The, uh, the whole story arc is about the danger of charismatic leaders. And I feel that Captain Kirk, Spock, and Dr. McCoy are the great answer to that. Where, yeah, we should be afraid of that person with the silver tongue who's saying things. But if they're surrounded by really good people giving counsel that they're listening to, then sometimes you need that charisma to deliver the message, to get people to do the hard things, but to know that it's backed, you know, in a really good way. So I love that leadership trio that we get, we get out of the original series crew. The original series sometimes gets a bit of a bad rap, doesn't it? Because of the, perhaps the traditional gender roles and some of the womanizing that is perceived to happen, whether you agree with that or not. But for me, it was never about that. It was always about the, the relationship between those three characters of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. And it's also important, as, as we watch older television, and this is just mm-hmm. me on my soapbox for a minute, <laughs> but, but it's important that we don't only watch older television, movies, music, plays, whatever. We don't only watch them through the lens of today. We're, we're much smarter now. We're much more compassionate. We, we, we don't understand people still, but we understand them more. And it's like, I, I actually had someone that quote from balance of terror about not having room for bigotry on the bridge. Someone got really upset with me once and they're like, well, there's no room for bigotry in his quarters either. There's no room for bigotry period. And I'm like, yeah, I agree hundred percent. But again, in 1967, they weren't there yet. We had to say no room on the bridge before we could say no room at all. And so I think that one of the original series' biggest flaws, like you said, is the way that they portrayed women. But also one of its greatest strengths was how they portrayed women, you know, by putting them in quasi-leadership positions. They did put Uhura in charge of the Enterprise in the animated series. When it went to cartoons, they they gave her the gave her the, the shot. But uh but that wasn't happening on TV at all at the time. And it's important that we remember that and then look at the, the track record since. Did they get better? And during the Rick Berman era of Star Trek in the 90s, uh, honestly, we still women were still portrayed pretty terribly uh, through today's lens. 
but a little better than they were in the original series. Take that to today, and we we have you know women captains who are kicking butt. We women are portrayed in what we can look at through today's lens as a really uh, re- really great way. I wonder what we'll look at it though in thirty forty years from now. How we'll look at how either women or different people were um, were treated in, in what is now modern track. You know, we're we're always on that journey. Yes, I do worry sometimes what what the the future bigotry will be because there's been a, a new one for each generation hasn't there I, I wonder what we're going to get in trouble for in 30 years we're, we're really good at finding <laughs> that new thing we really which is not a good th- i mean it's good that we're learning more right and good yeah. we're also we're also really good at finding new things to hate and that's uh that's a really unfortunate uh part of humanity yes it's major downside of the internet as well because there's no escaping it it's there forever now it's exactly <laughs> Okay, well, we've probably talked enough about Star Trek for the time being. I'm sure any of the listeners who don't like or haven't watched Star Trek have already left. But anyway, (laughs) so why is it then so important for you in your career to to be able to help others? What drives you to do that? So you jumped off the Star Trek train too soon, David, because part of it is rooted in Star Trek. I know. So so part of what makes Star Trek great is that it paints a picture of a better future. Kind of what I was alluding to earlier, where we've eliminated poverty, the class struggles of the past or our present no longer exist. It's a post-scarcity society. For us to get there, that's where I want to be, right? That's where I want to live. And I think a lot of people want to be there. If we're going to get there, we need different and stronger leadership. The leadership of the past will not bring us to the future that we want. And I think that, you know, whatever people's takes on our response to COVID um, are, I think we can all agree that our response has changed the way that we're looking at the world and specifically the way we're looking at the workplace. Before you and I came on mic, I was on LinkedIn and there was an article about, uh, is it important to be seen at work to be promoted, right? The whole the whole debate, camera or no camera, in person or not in person. These are the conversations we're having where five years ago, these weren't even on the radar. It's important to me to help people for the the, the selfish reason of wanting that better future and, and, and understanding that we need to address just even right now, not even in the future, but right now in the now, we need to, in, in the workplace, we need leaders leading differently. And then I also think it's important from the more uh, macro piece of just, God, it's, it is amazing to watch a person do something that they didn't even necessarily think they could do. Quick story. One of my passions that I've really worked to operationalize in my organization and others that I've worked with is giving, making sure that people with intellectual and developmental disabilities have opportunities to compete equitably for jobs so they can get real good work that has benefits and pay and almost more importantly, dignity. And so I've, I've created partnerships and pipelines and changed our recruiting processes to a way that they can show up and they're competing on a level playing field with anyone else. And I'll tell you what that's done as we have a tremendous amount of people that have declared an intellectual or developmental disability working side by side with people who don't and they're doing incredible work but there's one who's one of my like ah just it's it's incredible even as i think about telling her story it's just so humbling that by giving her opportunities by working to develop her skills by 
by listening to her. So you know, it's such a simple thing. But by listening, I've been working with her a couple of years now. She's promoted multiple times in the organization. She doesn't even work in one of my programs anymore. She's off somewhere else. And she's working on her master's degree in clinical social work. I'm like, she is a better, smarter, and more accomplished person than I could ever hope to be. But she needed someone to open a door. That's all that needed to happen. And then to work with her to develop her. So I get passionate about helping people because what she was able to accomplish Anyone can accomplish. We all just need a little help. None of us can do this alone, right? That's, I think that's a big thing I believe just fundamentally about humanity. We're individuals, but we thrive when we're part of a community and we're together. And so if I can use my experience and any, any wisdom that I've picked up along the way to help someone along that way, that's, I mean, David, that's, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm taking up space on this earth is, is to do that. So I, I am wildly passionate about watching, uh, gosh, one of my measures of success. I love it. And there's another person here where like they used to work quote for me, right? Like I was their supervisor. Fast forward a couple of years. They were my supervisor. Like they went on and did other stuff. And one, it was cool because it was just exciting. They got put in that position at all but also selfishly, like I was like, Hey, I was a cool boss to her. Maybe she'll be a cool boss to me too. <laughs> right? Like, Hey, it's cool. Right? Like we're fine. It's all good. <laughs> you hope anyway. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Great hearing you, you talk about that. And your, your passion is obvious. Um, and I think, yeah, listening is such an underutilized tool, isn't it? It is. So many managers really need to, there's a meeting tool. It's an open source. It's just like Teams or Zoom or Google or whatever, but it's called Jitsi, Jitsi Meet. And I'm not advertising it. It's free. Uh, you can get it. But it has this really cool thing that I wish, I wish other ones had, but it measures the talk time for each person. So at the end of the meeting, it'll be like, David, you spoke 38% of the time. And Jeff, you spoke whatever the remainder of that is, 62% of the time. And uh, I think I'm a leadership guy, not a math guy. But um Same. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I know people. I know people who can do that. But uh, I want that so badly. And I want to make it like a measure for the managers that work for me. It's just like when you're having one-on-one -on -one conversations and stuff, you should be speaking at least half of – it should be at best a 25-75. Like the person you're talking to needs – and you just need to listen. Just listen. Yeah. yeah. I've not heard of that. That's That's very cool. I like that idea. Yeah, it's a great, yeah. it's a great thing. If there's any developers out there, go make that as a plug-in for Zoom or Teams or something because yeah, I definitely. desperately need it. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's talk a bit more about leadership then. What is the biggest leadership lesson that you've learned in your career so far? I think for me, it's been humility is the biggest leadership lesson people tend, and this is a very generalized statement. So just, just know that as I say it, but people tend to either get into leadership or management roles oftentimes because of the allure of the title. You know, I, the thing I hear quite often and it's just disheartening every time, ah, you know, I'm not really, a, I'm more of a director than, uh, than this, or, you know, I, I'm looking for something more at the senior vice president level. And I'm more like, well, Hey, what impact? are you able to make in the role? Like, let's forget about what the title is and, and look at impact. 
when I first got into management, I was working in uh, for a movie theater, which was a pretty fun, fun industry to work at. And we had this rule that when you were a manager, you had to be called um, formally. You had to be, you know, Mr. So I, people, oh, Mr. Aiken, do you blah, blah, blah. I was, I was like 21 years old. I was, I was a child, you know, and Mr. Aiken, come and do this thing. And it was, it was terrible to me. You know, I'm just like, nah, I, I'm just, I'm just dude. Like I have a different job than you, you know, but like, it doesn't make me, you don't have to honorific me or anything like that. But throughout my experience, I found that when I or any other leader can, can demonstrate that humility, just be humble and not worry about what's in it for me and worry about what's in it for everyone else. That's where magic happens. Problems happen. Projects get delayed. Meetings are held for the sole purpose of hearing people talk. Uh, just We go through the motions of annual or quarterly performance reviews with no value attached to them when I approach work about me and not about you. And so I've just learned that just having a, a core approach and mindset of, of humility and gratitude, like being thankful that you have the opportunity to work with people, you know, in the role, if you have those things, almost everything else from a leadership standpoint comes, I'm not going to say easily, comes more easily uh, if, if you can come from, from that, from that approach. It's, it's a good lesson. I like the, yeah, the humility and the story about the, uh, the honorifics. Yeah. It's a funny one. It's a funny one. I, I must say, I mean, early in my management career, I, I fell into that trap. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. And I think once you get to the point where you realize or you understand that actually as a manager, as a leader, you're only ever going to be as good as the people that you're working with. And actually they don't depend on you as much as you depend on them. Once you realize that, and for some of us, it's quite a rude awakening. (laughs) And there's some awkward stories behind it. Um, There are. I worked in the public sector, (laughs) public sector for a long time. And in the public sector, there's for us, we had uh, state legislatures and other places have different governing bodies that determine your budget, you know, and here's the money you have and your operating parameters. And we had a, we had a legal exercise we had to do. We we got our budget. There were two year biennial budgets. So they're over a two year period. And we had to, every two years, say, hey, you have to reduce your budget by 5%, 10 15 It's just an exercise to go through and show what that would look like. Every time, the first cut that I made was me. So I said, if we're at a place where we're cutting budgets, then you need the work to get done. And if I never show up again, the work will still happen, right? You're not going to have someone who can foster and care for the environment and the culture in the way that you need. You're not going to have someone to do your stupid reports for you (laughs) that you need, but the work, the core work will still happen. And I think that when to that humility piece of people can approach their work from that standpoint, I am the least important person here. And if the, if it ever gets hard, I'm the first to go that, that changes how you approach problems um, in a real fundamental and meaningful way. Yeah, it really does. And it's central as well to, to people first leadership, really. You've got to put, exactly. you've got to put the people before yourself. Yep. Even, even your self interest, even your potentially your paycheck and paying the mortgage and all that other stuff. Because if you don't, then your priorities are wrong. And mm-hmm. ultimately you're more likely to 
get in trouble and not be able to pay the mortgage after all. So exactly. Yeah. And end up able to pay the mortgage and end up with a terrible reference and not able to get another job as opposed to, Hey, yeah. look, I actually took this sacrificial self-sacrificial step to do this thing. And, uh, cause that's the other weird piece about humility. The psychology of it is when you behave in a, in a humble way, when you serve and you truly put other people first, you don't get forgotten. Right. Some people are like, well, if I do this, they're not going to know that I'm important or that I did this. No, they know. They totally know. I have gotten more, um, gosh, I'm trying to find the word, uh, credit, I guess, by showing up into meetings and introducing someone else who's an expert than me showing up and trying to be the expert. So I'll sit down and I'll say, Hey, everybody, I brought David in. He's going to talk about this thing. And then I shut up and then you talk and whatever. People, then two things happen. People go, wow, David guy's great. This is amazing. I want to hear him more. And wow, how cool of Jeff to have brought him here. Like we both, it's not a win-lose. It's truly, we everyone wins because I just give it away. And also like people are getting better information and, and I got the easier path. I just had to introduce you. Like I didn't have to answer their questions or do a presentation or anything. And so by being selfless, you actually end up getting selfish gains uh, in a good way, you know? And so that whole, but I'll be forgotten and people won't know that I did these things. Yeah. That's just patently not true. Yeah. It's quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. I think. And whereas if you, if you don't do that, if it's the other way around, then what you tend to create is a group of people who will never, ever work with you again. Exactly. So <laughs> And that guy never gave me a chance. He shut me up all the time. He quite he told all these people things that just weren't even true. It's not, he's awful. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so what is then the most important thing that any first-time leader can do? That's such a good question because the more traditional answer, right, is, you know, establish yourself and make sure this. Honestly, the most important thing a first-time leader can do is spend one-on-one time with the people they're working with and then small group time, get together. Um, and, and it's literally spending time. And we've talked about it a couple times now and listen, right? You're not going to come in as a leader and say things that are going to change anything. They might say things in the short term. Oh, wow. This sounds so great. I'm so excited. But within weeks, they're like, yeah, he hasn't delivered any of those things. And he just keeps saying them. But when you just show up and you listen, and then when, as you do that, you hear what their needs are and not their needs in terms of like, oh, I need a, I need a, you know, power BI license or whatever. They're real needs, you know, in terms of like, I need this support or I have this thing going on in my personal life and I need some flexibility in work, but I don't have a way to ask when you hear those things as a leader and then you can do um, whatever you have the authority to do to help just improve for them. Like that's, what's going to set you up as a good leader. When you can understand the people that you're working with, that's the magic stuff right there. Get to know them, understand them. Yeah. I very much agree. I highly recommend that being the first thing that any new manager does. Yeah. Spot on it. Great minds, clearly. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. Why do you think that it's so important for people to, to focus on improving their leadership skills? When I had my first management job way back, um, I thought I had it. I, I had it all figured out. Right. I know everything and uh, found out really quick. I didn't. And then I got a new job in a new industry and I thought I, you know, on paper, I was qualified for like 
here we go with the titles. I was qualified for this VP role on paper. So, I mean, what am I doing in this little role? What I learned, though, was that kind of what I was saying earlier, we're, we're not built to do things alone. And so by partnering with a mentor, coach, someone like that that you trust, and to develop those skills, have them actively developed, what's so amazing to me is like the jobs that I've held in the last couple of years, they have neat titles attached to them, right? It, and they have a lot of responsibility. And that's the big, the, the key thing for me. Uh, the role I'm in now, I have, I have a lot of public visibility that the media asks, you know, questions, things that I have done or decisions that I've made. And had I not taken the time to develop my skills, to learn the value of humility, to truly understand what person-first leadership was, to understand that by building others up, I'm not actually giving away any of me or any of my power. I'm actually bringing more for everyone. That development, that growth, uniquely prepared me for these, these roles where I can be publicly grilled or whatever. And it's and it's fine. It's okay. If Jeff from 20 years ago, who was changing out the tills, you know, at a, like as a manager, so that meant I handled the money, you know, basically, but hey, I had a title and they called me Mr. Aiken. If you took that guy and plopped him into this role, I'd get eaten alive. And that's because at that point I hadn't grown and I hadn't developed as a leader. But I think the key point that I hit that I, I always try to hit here is you cannot do it alone, right? We live in a time where there are books, there are talks, there are incredible podcasts like this out there that people can use as resources to learn, but they're not a substitute for a face-to-face, even if it's virtual or over the phone, but with a person who listens to you, gets to know you, and then uses their knowledge and experience and wisdom to kind of help reframe things for you. I think I, I, I just, my goodness, it's the power of being able to talk through something with someone else, your situation as you as a person and have them ask those challenging questions is so invaluable. Those things that you thought were unwinnable situations, mountains that could not be moved after someone kind of talks through them with you, reframes them for you. And you realize not only does the mountain not need to be moved, it's not even a mountain, you know, the, one of the big job skills I think a lot of people have is the ability to make people believe that a molehill is a mountain, right? And then to have, but to have someone come in and actually help you understand, yeah, it's not even a molehill. Like literally there's nothing here and you're making a big deal out of it. Those spaces that are created either by a mentor or a coach or even your team, you know, just people that you trust and can talk through those things with, man, oh, it's so great. And that development and growth that happens. The individual the story I told earlier, about the person who's working on their master's degree. You know, that's because of development. That's because of growth. Prior to that, she was literally sitting at home and we as a society in the United States felt good about ourselves because we sent her a check from the government every month because well, here's your disability check. Here you go. Good for you. But because she took the time to be open to growth and development, like I had, I had a meeting with her a little while ago, because we still meet in a mentorship relationship, she's she's going to go testify in front of the le- the the legislature here in my state about this is these are the words that came out of her mouth about the challenges in macro socioeconomic social work and the impacts to people. This is someone who six years ago 
Dave, we were happy to just give her a check to sit at home. And she's trying to steer public policy for people that are homeless. It is. Yeah, that's the power. That is the power of development right there. Power is definitely the right word, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. Yeah, I, I I know I agree with almost everything you've said there, I must say. It's um just the power of having that that outside perspective. Cause it's so easy. And you know, we've all been there, we've been in that maybe not dead end job, but job we're not enjoying very much, or company we're not happy about, or manager we don't get on with and so on and it's so easy to just let that wrap around your mind and you just end up in that vicious cycle and it it just becomes self-fulfilling doesn't it it does every and time sometimes yeah and sometimes just having that outside perspective to give you a kick in the backside or or the gently encouraging word or the probing question it, it makes so much difference it really does just that change of perspective yeah, it's definitely something I wish I had at earlier stage in my career. I know, I know. <laughs> if you were to start your career and business over again, would you do anything differently? So that's a that's a tough question to me. I I remember a long time ago when I was a kid. And I was in a, a kid. I was in my early twenties, and uh, I was a young person. There we go. And uh, and I was thinking about that, right? Like, would I would I have made different choices coming here? And I can think operationally, especially about my business. You know, so through my through my podcast, I I provide consulting usually to individuals, and 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 not in the big like McKinsey sense of consulting, like just what we just talked about. You know, I'm here to bounce ideas off of and and help you look at things through a different perspective. But I, there are some operational things I would have done differently, right? Like. I wouldn't have tried to do it all. You know, I would have understood that like I need someone else to help me with marketing. I need someone else to help me with the accounting side of things and whatever. But those are just kind of the the pieces, you know, the, the operational pieces to it. But I, I asked myself a fundamental question back when I was young and I ask it now as to would I have done anything differently? And the question I ask is, am I happy with how and who I am right now? And generally I am. And if I'm not, then it gets better. But if I am happy with who and how I am now, then no, I wouldn't change a single thing. Because, yeah, there's a, I, I, there are definitely interactions. As, as a manager, you know, we, we have so much impact. We have so much influence over the lives of the people that we work with and serve that there are absolutely times that I would do things differently. Oh, my gosh, I shouldn't have said that. I should have helped them out. But those mistakes, those missteps are paths on, there are steps on our paths, both mine and that person's that help form us into who we are now. And so uh, operationally, sure, all kinds of things I would have done differently and smarter. And it really, it's funny as I say it, because it all really comes back down to that humility piece. I remember when my podcast started getting some traction and I was like, wow, I, I feel like I could, I can actually, you know, make something out of this. People are interested in, in more, getting more out of it. I was like, well, I, I know how to do this. I could do all these things. Isn't that the opposite of everything we were just talking about a minute ago? <laughs> but uh, but then after I learned that, I'm like, stop being the expert. You're not the expert in these things. Let someone else be the expert. And wow, everything got better all of a sudden. <laughs> it was great. So I think to kind of answer it, no, I wouldn't do anything differently. Um, I I would like to be further along. I'd like to be whatever but I am where I am and I'm happy with who and how I am as a person. Everything else is status and whatever. But I think the piece that I would say looking back is I would have, I would have gotten a firmer grasp 
on humility a little bit sooner uh, if I, <laughs> but I couldn't, I couldn't have, right? I couldn't have gotten that grasp unless I went through the steps and the paths that I did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm pleased to hear it personally, but uh, yeah, it, I guess it's, it's the difference between the tactical and the strategic, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think in the moment, looking back, there's quite a few things where at the time I might have wanted that to happen differently or for my reaction to it to be slightly different. But, but yeah, I'm, I'm the same as you, you know, I'm happy with where I am. I'm happy with what I'm doing, who I am. Certainly much more comfortable about it now than I was even five years ago. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, as a result of that, no, I probably wouldn't change anything either. It's, yeah, you know, just even good. the bad stuff. Exactly. You know, especially the bad stuff, actually, because that's yeah. where the real lessons are, isn't it? That's where we grow. That's where it yeah. happens. You know, there's the old, uh, the old cliche about, you know, pressure creates diamonds. And so, you know, I, I have to live under pressure for that. It's not fun, you know, but it's, our brains are also fascinating in that we, we can look back through a different, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. you know, as they say, and you know, we can look at, back at things in the moment, things feel terrible, but we can look back at them and appreciate that those things happened. And I think that's an important step to do. We end up dwelling in the negative unless we can look back and say, wow, I'm really thankful this awful thing happened because through that I was able to X, Y, and Z. And here I am now. Indeed. I'm not sure I'd call myself a diamond though. <laughs> Hey, uh, diamond in progress, right? Oh, I don't yeah, know what they, I don't, yeah, I'm sure there's a name for that. An unfinished diamond. Is that what they call that? Maybe? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'll, I'll ask my wife later. She used to be a jeweler. So she'll be oh. nice to that, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I've almost run out of questions. Oh no. Wow. Time's flying, isn't it? It's all that Star Trek stuff. I just didn't notice how time was passing. Maybe there's maybe there's a wormhole or something. I don't know. Right, exactly. Um, a temporal <laughs> rift. Yeah. Leadership heroes. Last question. Uh, it's the only question that every single guest on the podcast is asked without fail or modification. It's called Leadership Heroes. And the question is, if you had to pick a person, alive or dead, real, fictitious, past, present, you know, anything you like, who in your opinion would perfectly embody leadership, who would that be and why? Well, so the easy answer here is right, Captain Janeway, but I'm I'm not going to... You've already I'm, had that, though. You exactly. <laughs> exactly. I already got to do that. No, I'm going to go a different route with this one. And I'm I'm going to talk about someone no one here knows. Absolutely. And if anyone does know this person, one, my mind will be blown. And two, like we should totally meet up because this is, this is a very deep cut. When I was 17 years old, so, you know, three, four years ago, um, sure. speaking through temporal riffs, right? Uh, I worked at a buffet washing dishes. And that was a, that was a, one of my favorite jobs in retrospect. Like I loved that job. It was great. You know, you went, you worked hard and when you were done, like you would accomplish something and then you just went home. Like it was great. It was uh Thanksgiving. So here in the United States, Thanksgiving, um, either people are making a whole lot of food at home or they're going out to a restaurant and expecting the poor people that have to work to go make a lot of food for them and working at a buffet a lot of people, it was, it was base, it was basically Armageddon that day. Like there was, there was, there was no hope and just a line that went on forever. So 
we had a regular standard dish machine, like the dishwasher, the dishes go through. And then we had a, what we call the pot sink where we'd scrub all the pots. And that is literally the worst, like that's the lowest job in the whole restaurant. And guess who was doing that job right here? I was the guy and I couldn't keep up. I just couldn't. The pots kept stacking up and they were coming so fast. We were making so much food. And the general manager of the branch, his name's Jason, uh, Jason Gilbreth. Jason comes by and he says, Aiken, come on. We need the pots. What, what's going on? I'm like, dude, I can't, I can't keep up. He didn't hesitate. He took his suit jacket off. He rolled up his sleeves and he started scrubbing pots with me in that moment. Contrast that with years later, I'm working at the movie theater. I'm not a manager. I'm just, just shoveling popcorn in the concession stand. And similarly, there's lines for days and just we're, there's no hope of us getting through. General manager comes around. I won't say his name because he tells a different story in this one and I don't want to paint him in a bad light, but he, he's had his own growth and development since this time. But uh, he's like, we need these lines shorter. Come on, let's go. And I'm like, we, I need, I got to get somebody on the popcorn machine. Like we're just, we can't keep up. I'm doing two jobs back here. He goes to the cushiest job in the theater, the person who tears the tickets and tells you where your theater is, gets them, tells them to go back into the concession stand while he tears tickets, leaving his suit jacket on and being very clean. I tell those stories because Jason, to me, is my leadership hero. I was 17 years old. It's been 30 years since I worked with him, and he influences everything I do to this day. Not only did he not hesitate to do the dirtiest, quote, lowest job in the entire place, but he did it well and he had fun with it. He also did other things. He gave, he got to know, he was the first person. I mean, I was young. I hadn't worked with a lot of people, but he listened to us. He listened to the people who barely spoke any English, but had desires, wants, and he would sit and he would listen to them and try to understand what they were looking for. He was selfless. Um, he, he believed in what we were trying to accomplish, you know, a good customer experience and those things, but also understood that even the dishwasher in a place could impact that customer experience in a big way. I, um, I saw him about 10 years ago. He was still working at the buffet. Um, I went there with my family and, and he was still working there. And like, I, I, I was so excited to see him. He, nothing, in Jeff Aiken that happens today. Well, that's not fair. I, I don't want to put it all on, all on him, but so much of who I am and what I am today is a direct result of the leadership that he didn't teach. He demonstrated like he did it. So that's not as exciting, you know, as some of the other ones out there, but like I, I there's no one, there's no one I can think of that I would much rather spend time with and ultimately just thank for showing me how it works, you know, how to, how to really treat people and how to treat work. So uh, Jason Gilbreth is his name. Well, I don't know Jason. So there you, go. you won't be surprised to hear that. I'm sure. That'd be weird if you did. It'd be super weird. <laughs> yeah. What I think is particularly great about that example though, is you can take those same behaviors and apply them to any leadership position. Like it doesn't matter whether it's pot washing or, digging the trains in the military or something, or, or, you know, just in the office doing the photocopy or the shredding or something, you know, I mean, how many, how many office managers or directors of office based companies would demean in inverted commas themselves by answering the phone, even let alone right. pot washing. Um, 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, it was it was such a powerful lesson for me. It was incredible. I mean, obviously, I, to this day, you know, it's been 30 some odd years and I'm still like, that was the mo- that was the moment where it's like, oh, th- this. OK, this is how it works. Now I get it. Yeah, no, that's a great, great example. Um, and yeah, needless to say, I've not had that one before. So you've also got points, extra points for picking Excellent. a new name. There we go. Love it. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> well, Jeff, it's been great talking to you today. Really enjoyed all of this conversation, especially the Star Trek stuff. Obviously. Of course, yeah. Um, so the last thing for me really is just to give you the opportunity, if you'd like to point listeners towards your podcast, uh, your business, if they can learn more about you or possibly work with you, um, feel free. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so I host the Starfleet Leadership Academy, uh, leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Uh, you can get that at starfleetleadership.academy is the website. I can't tell you how excited I was to see .academy was, uh, was a web, you know, a, a domain you could grab. But uh, and through there as well, you can, if you're interested in consulting or anything else, I've got links on there uh, to to steer you towards that. What I encourage people to do is go to that website and sign up for my mailing list. A little pop-up comes up to do that. And uh, I only send, I'm very respectful of people's inboxes. But even if you don't want to listen to uh, a podcast about Star Trek, I pull out a lot of the leadership pieces in there and I share that every other week. Um, uh, you know, just kind of the nuggets out of the Star Trek episode are shared in that newsletter. You can, you can get, and I, I never spam anybody, but that's at starfleetleadership.academy. Thanks, David. I really have, I've had a great time hanging out with you. This is, I'm super glad I got up for this. Like, this is the perfect way to start the day. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's been a perfect after lunch discussion <laughs> for me. So there we go. Well, <laughs> off the time difference, I'm new. <laughs> Awesome. Well, that's it from us then. Thank you again. Sounds good. Live, lead, and prosper. Like it. Thank you again, Jeff. What a great chat. Really enjoyed that one. And it was great hearing some of those stories that weren't just about Star Trek, because I'm sure there's a few listeners who don't really care about sci-fi. So there we go. Some lessons either way. If you would like to learn more about Jeff and what he does, I've put the website link in the episode description so you can click on that and find it easily. And if you'd like to have a chat with me about leadership, if you've enjoyed any of these episodes, this one included, feel free to reach out to me as well. Again, there's a link in the episode description or you can find me on LinkedIn and reach out that way. be great to hear from you either way. And if I can help you with your leadership journey, I'd be very happy to do so. That's all I've got time for today. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Please do leave a review if if you have enjoyed this episode. And hopefully I will see you again next week. In the meantime, remember, take care, stay safe, and be a leader, not a boss.